Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the new Mainstream Podcast, where we explore the impact of multicultural consumers on marketing and media. I'm your host, Mario Carrasco, and co-founder of ThinkNow. Today, our guest is Dr. Jake Benefla, Executive Director of the Center for Multicultural Science. Dr. Jake, always good to have you back. Uh, please introduce yourself and tell us about your work at the Center and Journal and anything else you're working on. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you um, doing this for the community and our in our um, in our industry. And um, I'd be happy to just kind of you know give folks um, a sixty second uh, view, uh, bird's eye view of of what we've done at the Center. Um, you know, I've got about fifteen years of consulting experience in the ad business. Um, and kind of left it right after finishing my doctorate in 2010. Um, I've been running the, the Center for Multicultural Science for about 10 years. Um, I'm running it. I'm leading it. And essentially, I built it as a um, multicultural marketing research think tank where we conduct research, m- most of which has been partnering with you and, and Magna on the media side. So I really appreciate your support and the work that you've done for for me and for everyone um, who consumes and uses your your consumer research. Um, in 2015, we launched an academic journal, uh, knowing that there was a gap in um, in where we codify and how we codify our research. So I thought that was really an, an important part, an important piece to the to the to the puzzle, if you will. Um, and about two years ago, I started thinking about what was next for us and data science was that. And so we, um, we partnered with, uh, DASCA, um, which is an association in, um, in data science. And so they're well-known, they're globally well-known. And we, uh, we built an accelerator to help, uh, represent the underrepresented in data science. So we, we see data science and data analytics, obviously as, as, uh, you know, the, the new mainstream, if you will, from a marketing standpoint, a lot of it is data driven as opposed to conceptually driven things. And um, a lot of the work I think that we're doing and going to do um, will help clients across across the board be, you know, more effective in a new mainstream. That's awesome. And I always love hearing about the work you're doing. Um, you know, you're always pushing the conversation forward. So appreciate that. And you know, kind of crazy times right now. I wanted to have you on. Um, we're, we're what, week five into quarantine here in LA? Yeah. Um, and so I've been thinking about, you know, I've been writing a little bit and having some conversations, but I wanted to have you on to talk more about, you know, how you see this COVID-19 affecting multicultural marketing. You know, is it is where is it where is it moving i mean we've had some good momentum i think as an industry of course always things that could be improved upon um but given everything that's happening i mean you know society um and then trickle down into marketing marketed research i mean how how do you see covid-19 affecting multicultural marketing kind of from your perspective now that that we've been in it for over a month yeah I think that's a really good question. I think, you know, I wish I had the crystal ball in front of me and, and tell you exactly what, what, you know, what I expect, um, you know, expect to happen. You know, one way to look at COVID-19 is, is no different than looking at um, the current environment as, as a recession, right? Whether it's a war or it's a virus. If clients pull back, 
um, you know, it's going to hurt demand and demands hurt, um, you know, supplies hurt and if supplies hurt, you know, then, um, you know, the marketing and the advertising pulls back. We've seen very different approaches by brands. P&G has doubled down, um, saying, okay, you know what, this is a time for us to sort of be at the top of mind for folks, uh, and kind of take the bullet on in the short term and then think that all of the work that they're doing now will benefit, uh, benefit them in the long run. And then you've got a company like, like uh, Coca-Cola who says, you know, we're going to go dark. We're just going to pull back, weather the storm, um, and, and see what happens. And he, here you have really two major uh, leading brands, right, global brands take very different approaches. And so I don't know who is, um, you know, who's right and who's wrong. Um, I can only say that, you know, from a branding, from a brand standpoint, they, they both see the world very differently. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think that this is a recession if you want to look at it from that standpoint, um, you know, and, and I think that, um, and you know, what marketers do, um, should parallel what marketers do in recessionary times. You know, you can look at it now as, as you know, purely from a COVID-19 standpoint, which is look, uh, you know, the way that we interact with brands um, is really different. And perhaps the role of brands, um, you know, n- you know, the, the role of a brand is is very is much broader than just a place to buy and a, and, and a product to, to consume or a service to consume. Right. So, um, y- you know, I, 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 I see these brands having to redefine themselves in some way. Um, let me just make sure that we're on here. Um, you know, I think these brands have to redefine themselves and find what their essence is, what their what their purpose is, as opposed to just saying, hey, look, we're a product and consumers, consumers are going to use us five times a day or whatever it is, right? So I think a lot of these brands... It's a, it's a super interesting idea. I, I, re- I really like this idea about that you brought up, which I think is very true, especially now. And I, I'm, we're looking at this from the perspective. I don't think this, hopefully when this is published, we're out of quarantine, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about it, you know, from the stay at home brands now have an outsized influence or an outsized role in our lives, given kind of the limited mobility that we have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I mean, and, and I think that that's, you know, you've seen some of these companies, um, struggle, you know, cause they're thinking on their feet, uh, and, 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 you know, the, the ones that, um, are best prepared for this did well. And those that were, you know, didn't have the infrastructure, didn't have the people, didn't know how to, you know, to evolve, um, you know, you know, did, did something and, and others didn't do anything at all. So, you know, I think this is a learning moment. Um, for a lot of CMOs and a lot of organizations in general, because there will be another COVID-19 and maybe worse, maybe not. Um, The restrictions may not be so severe. I kind of feel like this was the first time that we have been under this sort of viral attack, if you will, globally. And so we went from, you know, being completely open to to being completely closed. And so, you know, there might be, there's going to be a lot of learnings here and there might be a lot of different approaches moving forward. Um, and it may be less centralized and I think it might be more decentralized. In other words, focus on New York and focus on the, the hotspots, 
um, you know, and then have those cities locked down as opposed to having the entire country locked down where in my city, Manhattan Beach here in California uh, has, you know, 60 cases, right, in a population base of 35,000. So, you know, I think my, my city would have weathered the storm with, with, you know, with, you know, being open and everything else. Right? So, so I, think, I think there's some kind of legislative um, impact coming out of this will be some kind of decompressing, if you will, on, on, on what people have done well and not. Um, but I think brands in general will have to evolve and fit and find what that right message is in these moments, right? Because nobody wants to buy, you know, I don't know, a car, right? When you can't move or, you know, um, you know, I don't know, beans or chips or whatever the product is. I think that the message has to fit the context. And I think brands have to think about that. Um, more and more, given that I think this is going to be the new normal. I agree. And one, one of the things I've been thinking about is what, what's been interesting to me as a researcher is we're all going through this globally and social media has given us a glimpse into how each country and in turn how each culture has responded, right? So it's like, Italians, you know, you, yeah, I don't know if you've seen kind of the social media of them, you know, singing and playing music on balconies and whatnot, despite being hit the hardest, right? Mm-hmm. Versus how South Korea is dealing with it versus how the U.S. is. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about the U.S. Um, because we are a multicultural society. Yeah. How in times of crisis, we kind of, we we rely on our, our 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 cultural DNA and how we respond. I mean, every culture responds differently, just like we're seeing it play out on social media. Um, and it made me think about how brands right now. I mean, there's a lot of brands like that. We're all in this together. I mean, everything it just it, every commercial seems to blend together. Um, but from my perspective, I'm like if here's an opportunity like the PNGs of the world that are investing in marketing um, that do understand this outsized role that brands now play in our lives. And, you know, you have an opportunity now to make real connections with people um, outside of just a purchase decision. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is there, is there an opportunity for brands to kind of culturally connect given how we all respond differently to crisis yeah. from a cultural perspective? Yeah, no, I think I that's a really good question, and I think the way that you know all the image, all those images that you saw on social media, I I saw, and I was actually um, not pleasantly surprised, but kind of kind of on a happy side. I was I was happy to see the Italians, you know, <laughs> um, serenading uh, each other basically in concert on balconies. I thought that was really collectivistic and very unique. Um, w- with that said, I you know I also wrote a piece. Um, just in response to another article that was published and I did that, I published it on, on LinkedIn, but, but I essentially said, look, this country, our response will be dictated, you know, if not influenced at the very least by our cultural values. Um, and so Americans don't take, uh, you know, their freedoms lightly. In fact, you know, you take away a freedom, whatever that freedom may be, uh, freedom to, to do whatever they want to move out, to break the quarantine, to, 
you know, to own guns, to what, whatever that freedom is, they take it very seriously. So I knew it at some point, um, the quarantine would, would be fed up, you know, Americans would be fed up with the quarantine restrictions. You know, it's like, you've taken, you know, it's not just the economy anymore. It's like, now you're talking about my values. Now, like the government is not going to tell me what to do. No matter how unreasonable and illogical that may sound, for those that are looking at it from through, through a different lens, they see it as really relevant. So I, I think that that your 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 discussion around values, cultural values, and and consumer behavior, and the way people respond through COVID nineteen is is very relevant. You know, um, the question to me as a as a brand as a brand is, what is that cultural DNA? And I don't think it's really at a high level anymore. I mean, a brand has to know their target audience from a purchase, from an inside out, from the bottom up, right? And so when they're developing a message, they're coming from the top down. But that top down approach has to align with the bottom up approach. And so we're not talking about, you know, Hispanic values and African-American values. There's got to be, you know, there's, there's got to be a set of values, a set of DNA um, um, strands that, you know, transcends everyone. Because we're going through the same thing. And now that's the commonality. And so what role does the brand play when you're looking at it from that perspective? This is not for vertical efforts, right? COVID, COVID-19 affects all of us. What does that mean? It's just like, you know, the automotive company saying, hey, we're going through 9-11. And this is why you're going to buy American, right? So like everyone's black, everyone's Hispanic, everyone's Asian, everyone's white. We're not going to have four different efforts, but we're going to we're going to tap into that one core that unifies us all. And so I think that the, the, the next evolution is, you know, h- how do we unite using that brand without being, you know, um, you know, um, t- too salesy, if you will. And so I think there, there's there's some work that needs to be done. Um, but all of this is somewhat um, philosophical at this point, as brands are really trying to struggle with the exception of maybe Clorox and Lysol, who are the basic winners <laughs> in the whole thing, right? Um, Charmin, Charmin, you know, yeah, exactly. But and then and they've got their and then they also have to figure out PR because it's like you can't have leadership say, oh, you know, you can just ingest it or, or intravenous it, and then you'll be all gone. It, it, the virus will go go away. That in itself is is a crisis. So you've got to also have PR, you know, kind of you know, on the side and, and ready to, to go, to go and, and, and address the crisis when you don't know, you know, what it is and you have to do it in real time. Here's a question that I'm, I'm thinking of as you're talking. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, and I've been thinking about this idea when you have a situation like this, where I think things have calmed down a little bit, but there's still uh a, a scarcity issue, right? Like you go to a store and you're not necessarily going to find your brand. Um, definitely not of toilet paper. People are buying just whatever, but it may be peanut butter. It may be cleaner, right? Maybe you were very brand loyal to Lysol or, um, you know, whatever disinfectant wipes, but now you have to buy whatever's on the shelf. And this is happening, right? This is happening continuously. Every time every week that you go to the store or however often. And they say that, um, you know, it takes what, 30 days 
for a new habit to form. Mm. Do you think this, you know, do you think this change in, in purchase behavior, right? Kind of purchasing you're, you're, for sure. I think the majority of consumers are purchasing brands that they've never purchased before. Hmm. Do you think this is going to have an effect on, on brand loyalty in the long term, Or do you think after this is done, people are going to revert back to the brands that they purchased prior to this, this crisis? So I, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I'm glad you've, you've asked it. I haven't heard anybody ask that question. And I think this is uh, a definite sort of implication or outcome out of this COVID-19. I, I think that initially, right, when, when the supply chain started, um, well, I don't want to say the supply chain was drying up, but when the stores were, when the shelves were going empty, people started freaking out and they were buying, you know, products that they were never consuming. Like I, I saw, you know, all of the barbecue oysters in, in next to the sardines and next to the anchovies. And it's like Americans eat all that stuff for real. Right. Like that, that was like unheard <laughs> of. Right. But yeah, you know, that that's, that's very extreme. Um, and so if you can't find lace potato chips, guess what? The, um, you know, the store, the store brand will do, especially if it's two seventy nine for a family pack and you've got nothing else. And I think that's a really, I think this is a really good point that you're bringing up because I think those that are brand loyal and are not price sensitive will go back to those products. Now, those switchers, right? They're the ones that are like, those are the ones that I would worry about because they're those are the ones, those are the ones that I'm reaching, per, possibly persuading and possibly getting them closer to brand loyalty. And all of a sudden, here, here's a circumstance that I have no control over where people are buying the, comp- the competition just because they, they've had, you know, no other um, option available. So I think that, you know, whatever gains that brands have made for some consumers, uh, they're going to have to double down and work, you know, more, you know, harder to, to get them back. A brand loyal customer is a brand loyal customer, right? So, um, Unless we're in the you know great recession, I, I think brand loyalty is still is still a very relevant concept. I think the brands that uh, lost some might have slipped with the switchers and and people that are occasional buyers. Yeah. So, so essentially, if I'm I'm kind of reiterate what you're saying is that switchers are going to be switchers and brand loyal brand loyalists are going to be brand loyalists, but. There, there is the potential for some of the switchers to stay in whatever brand that they chose. They, they, they might continue that, but ultimately, people that are brand loyal are going to be brand loyal after all this. I think so. I think that's my, I think it's my take. Yeah. No, that's interesting because I, I mean, it makes me think. You know, post all this, are we going to start to see campaigns? I, I don't know if it's a big enough phenomenon. I mean, this is something we haven't looked into this. Um, but I wonder if there'll be campaigns kind of bringing people back. Like, hey, remember us? You know, you you, you tried that other guy, but remember us? Come back. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think I think this is where, you know, marketing deserves some sophistication, right? Because a lot of brands that I've worked with in the past and even now, you know, their main objective is to grow subscriptions or to grow, uh, you know, widgets or to get more people to buy your product. So it's all about, you know, growth. But the question is, how are you going to grow? Right? Are you tapping your loyal base, which is the easiest thing to do? Right? I mean, if my, you know, my, I have two boys, and my boys, 
as a family, we consume four quarts of milk a week out of seven days. So guess what? If you, uh, you know, gave me an offer or if you spoke to me in a very different way, I might buy a fifth, right? Because I'm already there. Um, the, the question is, you know, and, and so my point is brands have to identify where their growth is coming from. If they're, if they're going after switchers, then you've got to say, you know, remember them, now remember us, right? So like I have to acknowledge your current behavior so that I can tell you, don't do that by me and do this, right? So that's a very different strategy than saying we're number one, right? So, you know, I don't know, Mario, to be honest, that all brands are willing to think in those finite terms because I, I've seen campaigns and you've seen campaigns for decades now, right? The, the CPGs understand that. I'm not so sure that every category operates within that framework, right? So automotive doesn't think that way. They're about deals, brand, you know, brands, what they stand for. Um, they're not targeting, hey, you used to be a Subaru customer, now come to Ford. Never seen anything like that. Whereas for, you know, categories like the CPG, um, even the wireless, you know, they're, they're thinking, they're thinking, um, you know, in different terms. Now that's interesting because I was even thinking about CPG, but because that's the world that thinks about Mm -hmm. marketing in those terms. And you're right there. There's an opportunity for other verticals to think about that. Um, but jumping around, I'm pretty sure we've discussed this, um, this idea out there in the marketplace that Latinos are more brand loyal. Mm. We, we've, we've done some research on that. Um, yeah. That's not true. Yeah. I, I, I know we've had some really good discussions on that. I mean, can you talk a little bit about yeah. how that idea came to be and where we're at? Well, you know, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think that, you know, we can look at, you know, there's enough past that, that we can sort of, discuss where we are today and where we want to be, right? Um, and so I, I believe that a lot of these simplified concepts, if not these sort of, you know, social social constructs uh, were created in a sense to validate Hispanic marketing back in the early 90s. And so the more unique we made, the more differentiated we made this consumer, the more we can validate our siloed effort. So if Latinos were language preference, they had a language preference of Spanish, if they were culturally homogeneous, if they were brand loyal, you know, you started checking off all these boxes and said, oh, my God, their fastest growing segment, that the largest ethnic segment, they have over a trillion dollars. Now it's, a, a, you know, one point, you know, six or seven trillion. Right. So you've got all these like amazing facts. And I think brand loyalty came into that, uh, into that sort of framework. Now, here's here's what I think. Uh, and this is based on, you know, a lot of research. Um, when you think about your consideration set, the brands that you're considering to buy, um, you know, if you if you just listed, you know, the, the first, you know, list all of the potato chip companies that you that you can think of, you'll ex- exhaust yourself after four or five. Those are the brands in your consideration set. OK, now. When you're when you just get here as as a as a foreign born as a low acculturated you know with limited ex- exposure to America, you have 
a different kind of um, um, consideration set, and you have different brands in there, and you have a f- you have much fewer brands than you would than you would you know if you were to compare yourself to a U.S. born or someone here who's been second or third generation. So I, I could see how brand loyalty plays into a consideration set that's scarce because you don't know much. You you know you knew less than than your peers. So if if, if Colgate is uh, talking to you and you use Colgate back in your country of origin, then guess what? Maybe that's the one that you're going to buy. The, the more the more you you know the, the higher the, the more that you acculturate, the more you integrate, uh, and the more you learn about brands and you start playing around with your consideration set and you start trying out brands. That's when it gets all murky. And that's where you're like, oh, I don't have to go with Colgate when Crest gives me, you know, you know, greater efficiency or effectiveness, you know, and, and doctors validate it, right? It's no longer about the smile, it's about, you know, dental hygiene. So you start learning about new brands and you start changing your, your, your purchasing behavior. So the reality is it's, it's not one or the other. Um, you can start with some brands and then you'll evolve um, as a result of adding more brands into your consideration set. And I think that's kind of like a very neuro marketing uh, way to look at it. And I think it's very accurate, but um, I think this whole notion of Hispanics being um, brand loyal has been re- re- refused or rebunked, debunked rather um, by a number of studies. And I would also argue in one of the studies, what we did, we looked at CSD, the, the, um, the, the beverage category carbonated uh, beverage uh, category. And so even within different categories, there might be different levels of brand loyalty. So we've got to look at those kinds of factors also. Yeah, and I think kind of bringing it back to what's happening now, I think it's going to be a, I think it's an opportunity for brands. I'm with you with the brand loyalty Mm -hmm. uh, idea that after this, People are going to revert back to their brands. However, I do think, given how much consumer habits have changed or consumer behavior, right? And and outside of brand preference, I mean, where are you ordering? How are you ordering? What stores you're going to? Um, I I think it's going to be really a, a golden age for market research in terms of figuring out where did consumers end up after all of this. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what, where are they buying? You know, I, I think we're going to see a fundamental shift in consumer behavior that brands are going to have to kind of reckon with after all this. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the distribution of of uh, of, of, of purchase is really, a, you know, an immediate implicate has immediate implications. Right. Because, you know, we've been sort of um, we've we've uh, taken ourselves out of this experiential uh, location, right? These these retail outlets, they're not just selling our product, their products, but they're also selling an experience. So, are we are we going to go back? You know, are we dying to go back and experience that, um, or are we are we um, you know are we happy with the Amazons and 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 getting things uh, delivered to us directly, you know, via online shopping, you know? So, you know, I I, th- I think it's too early to tell. I don't know that it's going to swing one way or the other. Um, I, I do think people, I think that the most immediate uh, effect in the short term is that people will want to get out. 
Uh, and then so brands, I think, have to staff, staff up and make sure they've got product. And I think that people will will want to go out with masks and gloves and whatever else, you know, with all of those precautions. Um, I think people will want to change their current situation. Uh, I think in the in, in the end, I think it'll all normalize. Let's hope so. And I think that's a, I think that's a good, good endpoint here. Um, we've referenced lots of, of studies, a lot of work that we've done together, some work that you've done um, with other partners. Uh, the journal is a great resource for that. If people want to find the journal, subscribe, where can they find that subject? Um, so, um, so it's www. So Henry Stewart Publications is the publisher. If you just Google them and look, uh, look for the Journal of Cultural Marketing Strategy. Uh, it's been around for five years, Mario. So thank you for being a, a founding, uh, you know, founding uh, sponsor for the journal and for the work that you've, you've done and you've allowed us to fill on those pages without you and a lot of other folks. Um, you know, this, this would have been just a conceptual dream more than a reality. So happy to say that this may, um, you know, a month from now or a couple of days from now, we will be looking at a, a, a five-year anniversary. So, um, you know, find us on the net, um, under the journal of cultural marketing strategy and, um, and enjoy it. It's worth, it's worth your, it's worth your time and money. Thanks for stopping by Jake. I appreciate you, man. Do some, continue doing the great work that you're doing. Thanks to everyone listening in. To get more multicultural insights, check us out at thinknow.com and follow us on social media. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. Final thank you to our producer, Lucas Martinez, who created our intro music and makes our podcast sound great. To email him, reach out to martinez.lucas.a at gmail.com. 